This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to River Cafe Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. Okay, all right, let's go. Today, as we... Okay. Today, as we sit here in the River Cafe on a busy Monday lunch, I'm joined by someone I know rather well, my son, Rue Rogers. You were born in Paris, and so would you say your earliest memories are of living in Paris? I think my earliest memories are eating food in in Paris and my earliest memories are of walking into restaurants and uh, I remember going into Benoit and sort of having stories about how the Pompidou Centre was designed there from the earlier stages. I think I learned quite quickly not only a passion and love for food but that you booked the restaurant first and you found the restaurant first and then you figured out who you were going to invite and what you were going to talk about. Mm. And so I always sort of felt as though growing up that like it really was an exploration, not a, a, a convenience or a necessity, but an exploration. And so do you think more of your memories of Paris of eating out rather than home cooking? I think, I still think to this day that like really great French markets, you know, and I actually probably remember better walking through the French market, uh, you know, uh, on Boulevard Respire with you and dad. And I remember Richard, dad, buying a chicken, a roast chicken, and they put it in those sort of silver foil bags and there were no knives and forks. And he would just literally kept his hand in there and we were just, the, the three of us were just, we were just eating mm. chunks of chicken as you pulled it off. And it was the most delicious thing. And then when we needed dessert, you bought some raspberries and we just took the raspberries out of the carton. That was lunch back then. And it was beautiful. And I remember it very well. Do you still go to markets and, and shop and eat that way? Everyone asks me how I know how to cook. And I don't think I know how to cook. I know how to shop. And I think it's two totally different things. If you love food, you have to love the ingredients. And you never go out shopping for what you want to make. You let the shopping define what you're going to make. And that was the biggest lesson I ever got growing up about food was it's all about the quality of the ingredient. Mm. I think having a plate of amazingly ripe tomatoes uh, is as hard to cook as a veal shin because you have to know whether those tomatoes are going to be good and you have to know how to let those flavors come out. And so it's not about the complexity of the recipe. It's about understanding ingredients. Yeah. Also, that is very to do with seasonal food. You say hello to a vegetable that has just arrived, and at the same time you're saying goodbye. You know, to I remember in Paris, you might too, when melons came in, we always knew that they were going to come, and then you know fennel would go. Do you think? Do you remember? I remember living in London and how you would come back from Paris if I hadn't been able to join you on your visit with tons of food from the market. Yeah. I mean, asparagus. I remember white asparagus coming to London. I don't think we'd ever seen it in the UK. Like you couldn't yeah. get white asparagus. You'd come back with white asparagus or chev that was just seasonal or just 
just been completed. But yeah. I just have this image of you coming back on a plane back then, right? No, no trains, no boats. Like you would fly back with bags full that you'd brought back just from the market. Not just very that popular on the plane with smelly cheese. Rose and, you know, the, the, the story about Rose Gray was that she once reserved a seat for, you know, a pumpkin and put it in club and she sat in economy, you know. <laughs> Actually, as I'm just mentioning, Rose, you have memories of Rose, cooking with Rose. Yeah, well, I worked at the River Cafe when I was, I think, 17 and 18. Uh, and so working for your mother and her partner and her best friend is an interesting experience for your first job, somewhat terrifying and fast learning. And what's interesting was, you know, Rose was very exacting and very demanding in what we had to do and how we made it and how we delivered it, uh, but very, very charming as well. And, and so sort of wanted you to live up to being the best server, best eater you could be. She was curious about food. And if Rose was an influence, going back to to Richard taking the chicken out of, of, of the bag with his fingers in the market. But do you think Richard was an influence in your food life, your father? Yeah, I mean, I think, in a way, we all love food because Richard was a great eater. And I do really think that being a great eater is a really fundamental skill. It can be very frustrating, right, because everything is being analysed all the time. But it is a very beautiful thing because you're constantly searching for that new taste and that new experience. And anything else is, is not exciting for that. I mean, I remember the Michelin Guide with yellow post-it notes and written notes and, I mean, like, obsession and then, like, going into bookstores and saying, we found this restaurant but we haven't been. Do you recommend it? Like, the amount of diligence we did just to have lunch because... Dad wanted a great meal and you, you wanted to make that possible, but you, you know, and we did it. And so I think a lot of that sort of, you know, curiosity and food cooking and food quality comes from Dad's real keenness and passion for eating. Actually, it's interesting you say that because I do remember that we used to, he had this theory, I don't know where it came from, that if you wanted to find a good restaurant, you always asked at a bookstore <laughs> that there was a, people who loved books would probably know where to eat. <laughs> Do you remember when Richard went skiing with Bo, my brother, and they bought asparagus and they had to figure out how to cook it, right? And dad looked at it from an engineering architectural point of view and he decided that the top of the asparagus were narrower and the bottom of the asparagus were wider. So he cut them up into pieces because the bottom, the wider pieces, would need more time in the water than the top pieces. That's right. right. And sort of right, you know. That's how you steam asparagus standing up, don't That's you? That's right. So that was a that dad took a very sort of like you know pragmatic point of view on cooking. This is probably a question I only can ask you oh, on no. this series, but tell me about cooking with your brothers. Cooking with them? Are you are you trying to preserve our relationship? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So tell me about you, because I've been asked to bring it, yeah, about Abe and Ben Zad and Abe are all amazing cooks and very, very different. Ben is uh, very precise uh, and, and very responsible in terms of the planet and what he's cooking and how much of it he's cooking, but it always tastes perfect. 
my only, like my standing image, probably of like not just this person, but my entire lifetime of food, was going to stay at Zad's house and him hanging over a duck with a hairdryer and drying duck for Christmas. And Abe is an explorer, and you never quite know what he's going to eat. I do not like surf and turf, and meat and fish together seem wrong to me. But when I go to Abe's house, not only am I going to have scallops with blood sausage, but it's going to be delicious.、Um, so he is always the king of surprise. And so my brothers are all very different in the way that they cook, but all a wonderful experience as well. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, and when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com/ruthie today to get ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com/ruthie. BetterHelp.com/ruthie. I'm Katia Adler, host of the Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What about the American influence? Because you, you know, I'm American, and every summer, I think your first flight to the United States was when you were four. So, you know, what were those summers like? What did you eat? What What was the American influence as a child? And then we can talk about later about as an adult. Well, I think that in general, there are four things that I can remember that we really loved eating in America. It went hot pastrami sandwich, corn on the cob. Steak and lobster, and I think there were mussels that we used to pick off the beach. But unfortunately, with global warming, those mussels have gone smaller, and that's not possible. But we used to love those things again because they're such strong tastes. Like the lobster would come out of the sea, and you would just boil it, and you would eat it. And the steak, I mean, was just we didn't have anything like it.、Um, and then you know, going to the Carnegie Deli and having a hot pastrami sandwich with strong mustard was delicious.、Um, I think that. You know, the real American influence was not in food, though. I think the real influence was in you, Mum, and bringing over the idea that food could be used in a sort of to make you feel at home, right? That like, if food comes to the table, you will instinctually want to serve it to other people, even if it's not your house, Ruthie. You will want to help and serve others. And this notion that food could come with such incredible generosity and warmth. Was something that definitely came from your influence, and what I think makes the River Cafe and what you do so extraordinary is that you only say yes, and yes is such a nice word. It's a beautiful word, even when you might not be able to carry through with it. Yes is still a nice place to start. It's a beautiful answer. So, Rue, you went to 
university in New York. You went to Columbia. What was it like being a student in terms of food? Well, I think the most important thing I learned as a student at university was the value of a slice of pizza because we lived on pizza, and it's delicious. New York pizza is delicious. It's a very different thing. It can be a snack, it can be a meal. It has to be eaten the right way. The first time I ate a slice of pizza, I didn't fold it, and I kept it angled down, and it dripped grease all over my clothes. Uh, so I remember very much sort of culturally having to get used to the notion of fast food, uh, but also good food, and I would cook for people all the time. And I love that. And again, I learned about New York ingredients, and I learned about where to buy what, and, and it was, you know, it was really exciting. Do you remember what you would cook for those dinners with your yeah. friends? Um, so the thing that I... The, <laughs> The way I made friends as a child was that we would have parties and then when everybody got a little bit too drunk, I would make pasta with tomato sauce, right? And so that was a very useful thing that I learned very early on was that it was very good to have something that you could make quickly and easily uh, and would probably help soak up some of the alcohol in everybody's uh, system. That has continued to, with me ever since. Uh, now I serve it to my kids and it is always something you can get going very, very quickly. But I would cook when I was in, in college, whatever was fresh. My favorite meal was mussels and spicy tomato sauce. So I'd buy mussels and I'd combine that with a tomato sauce. Um, and the other thing I really love about New York, which I experienced a lot of when I went to college, is you're never self-conscious eating on your own, right? People are always stopping and eating and eating by themselves. And that's something very, very nice. You know, you see people with a book in a diner reading, and that's, that's a really beautiful thing. Today, do you take your children to restaurants? Do you work in restaurants? How do you feel about going into a restaurant? What do you look for? That's a multiple question. I'm not allowed <laughs> to okay, ask a multiple question. <laughs> Ever since Jeff Goldblum told you I can ask a multiple question. <laughs> I have always used restaurants as public space, and I like to move. I need to be around other people when I think, and there's nowhere better to be around other people and surprised by people than restaurants. It's about a certain level of discomfort because what you're really doing is you're putting yourself in somebody else's hands in a restaurant that you don't know whether they're going to cook something the way you want it cooked or whether it should be good with people that you've never met before seen before and not knowing what conversations you might have and you're taking a risk right and in that risk comes really beautiful things when it really pays off when you've really had a meal that surprises you right that that sort of like unexpected serendipity Right, which you could never get from Deliveroo. You're never going to get serendipity when something's delivered to your home. Right? You get serendipity when you take a walk down an alley and you find a restaurant and you just walk in. And one time out of 10, it will just turn out to be amazing. And when you discover that, in that risk, you found something that's truly creative and truly rewarding. And that's what I'm always looking for. Do you have a memory of food in terms of a relationship or uh, impressing someone? I fell in love with my wife over at Dovisol. We were at Chez Georges restaurant and we had only just met properly. And I ordered a Dovisol and uh, as it came um, fully on the bone, uh, she and I were talking and without taking a break, I filleted the fish and ate it. And little to my knowledge, that somehow really impressed her. And she found that sort of uh, creative skill with my knife and fork and, and devouring that uh, Chez Georges Dovisol, extremely sexy and alluring. And a year later, we were married.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You've actually lived in many places, and right now you're living in Africa. How does that influence your food, Yeah, travels? I mean, everywhere I travel. I obsessively look out for the most local restaurant. So we don't have Michelin guides anymore, but we have the web, and we also have friends and ways to make friends, and I look for the most authentic food there is. Uh, when I went to Ethiopia a couple of years ago, you know, my Addis taxi driver who picked me up in the airport stayed with me for three days, and the best meals I had were in his family home, uh, and they were extraordinary. Um, I'll never forget it. What were they like? My, my favorite actually was, was when we, he took me to the market, and uh, it's the meat market in Addis Ababa, and there are just enormous carcasses of meat hanging from the top, um, and people shooing sl- flies away from them. And you walk in, and he says, we're going to eat here. And so I said, okay. He says, choose your meat. And so I choose a couple cuts of meat. I even choose some sweetbreads to be adventurous. Uh, and I go, terrific. And he, they cut it off, and they take it away. We go sit down in the back, and it comes back in literally 90 seconds later. And I go, God, they cook it quick here. And it was raw. And they serve all those meats raw with a spicy chili sauce mm. or a nut sauce and a really amazing Ethiopian coffee. And I was there with everyone, and we ate it, and it was amazing. And you're working in South Africa. What is the food like in Johannesburg? The food that I've had in South Africa is, the truly South African food is delicious. They have extraordinary meat in South Africa. The steak is exceptional. A lot of stews, and uh, and so a lot of meats cooked in tomato sauce, which is amazing, um, and some basic grains, like our equivalent of polenta as well. So you talk about being very adventurous with your food, eating raw uh, sweetbreads in Ethiopia and traveling to, you know, all over the world in Nepal and eating this food, but do you, do you cook that at home? I don't know the ingredients well enough, and I don't know where to go shopping for them. And therefore, I would rather eat out um, and have somebody who does know them and knows how to cook them. So at home, we, we eat pretty Western-style food. My wife, Bernie, though, who is Chinese-American, makes the most amazing uh, Chinese and Asian food, as well as Indian food as well. What does she make? Uh, she makes incredible dumplings. Um, and wontons, which we all love and cherish. I mean, what's interesting is that there is very few things in Western food that is completely original, right? And so we all get influenced by everyone else. So an amazing wonton 
is actually like an amazing ravioli. Or mm. she would correct me and say, an amazing ravioli is like an amazing wonton since China has existed and been cooking this food for quite a long, lot longer. Which is to say, it's really based about the quality of the pasta or the wrapper, mm. as they say, and how light that is and how thin that is and how, how light can you get it. Uh, uh, and keeping the, sort of the filling as simple as possible. And if the chives are good, it makes the wonton. And so again, you're very dependent on fresh quality ingredients. You've worked in NGOs, you've written a book, What's Mine is Yours, about sustainability and uh, sharing and consumerist society. You've traveled to Afghanistan and Nepal, working with people of different cultures. Do you feel that the, that the politics of food is something that interests you? I'm less interested in the politics of food at the micro level, which is not to say I don't think it's important, but like the idea of the organic movement uh, and such is less important to me. At the macro level, which is around food security, I'm very interested in it. Uh, we talk a lot about overpopulation, um, but what we, in my opinion, should really be talking about is food security. There is more than enough resources right, in the world to feed more people on this planet. But we choose politically not to feed those people. We choose to not send grain to places that it's needed. We choose to have cows and dairy where we don't need more milk, right? We choose not to provide loans to smallholder farmers in Africa and India. And so we make choices every day around food security and providing food security to billions of people, right, that have nothing to do with whether we actually have the ability as a planet to sustain those resources. We could, and I passionately believe this, feed everybody in a healthy, equitable way that is good for the planet, should we choose to. It's a choice. Is we the, the West? Is we developed nations? Who is, when you say we could feed the planet, who is the we? I mean, food security is really an, an issue that's defined by Western powers and, and Western governments. And if we wanted to, again, remove subs subsidies and redistribute food, we could solve food security forever, right? Um, I think looking at innovation to solve this problem is a really interesting question. Um, and I think if you look at things like Impossible Meats, it's very exciting. I mean, the transformation to uh, our ecosystem by removing hamburger meat or beef from McDonald's uh, would be huge, right? I mean, that would just, just change the world. But again, while as much as I like the idea of innovation and I believe in it, it is people, not technology, that need to make changes. And those people are leaders and governments. And it starts at, you know, as much as I believe in, you know, becoming a vegetarian, you know, talk to talk, walk to walk, I really believe that if political leaders came together and made hard choices and decisions in a collective way, we could solve most of the problems uh, as well as innovation. So, Ru, um, you've talked about comfort and food, the comfort of food uh, in, at home, the discomfort of experienced food often in a restaurant, the comfort of food of cooking for your children. You use that word very often in describing what you love about food and what you look for in food. And uh, I was wondering, as I've asked everyone, if you needed comfort from food, not the taste or the excitement or the adventure, what would be your comfort food? Well, I am very, very privileged 
because it's not a question of what do I eat. It's a question of where do I go. And I go home to see my mum and anything she cooks. <laughs> You're so happy. <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> it's really nice. I mean, do you remember the mission? Do you remember the mission book? <laughs> To visit the online shop of The River Café, go to shoptherivercafé.co.uk. River Café Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.